Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. officially now in the Christmas season. And I love the Christmas season. I love the parties. I love the get-togethers. I, I love all the activities. Uh, I don't necessarily love the, uh, you know, the, all the germs that we give to each other during the season. Um, but most of all, I love the fact that you can talk about spiritual things at this time of the year to just about anybody. You can go to almost anybody and say, and and talk about Christmas or talk about Hanukkah, talk about their beliefs, you know, talk about whether you call it holiday or if you call it Christmas. You can enter into those conversations at this time of the year where other points of the year it's a little more awkward sometimes for some reason. But you can also learn, you know, a lot about where people have come from, what their backgrounds are, what their traditions are, what the, you know, how they get together with families, their family interactions. Now for churches... It's a time where we tell the same story that we've told over and over and over again for 2,000 years. Uh, it's a great story. It's very good. Don't, don't, I'm not trying to knock it uh, by any means. But I also think, man, how can I present this in a, in a different view, a new perspective that, that helps me understand the story from, from 2,000 years ago? So I turned to art. Several years ago, as I was thinking this through, I, I turned to, to art. Um, you know, you, you have a story that, that's been pictured in art throughout all, you know, all generations, all, you know, hundreds of years. They've been picturing this through, interpreting it in different ways. You know, just type in that nativity into your internet browser, into your computer, and uh, you'd be amazed at what all comes up. You'd be amazed at the hundreds of different things that will come up. You'll get stuff from, from uh, you know, from the 1500s, Botticelli and, and his paintings, all the way to some guy's Christmas pictures from, from two years ago. Believe me, you will. And why does he have it labeled Christmas? I don't know, because they weren't really Christmas pictures. But anyway, it was there. Yet when I look at some of these paintings, and here's a couple of them, I kind of look at these and, and they're just kind of wild. So, you know, the nativity scene is there, but unless you really study the, the interpretation, really study where the guys were coming from and, and, and the symbols in here, you're kind of going, wow, it's just, just kind of wild. And here's, a, here's another one that I, I pulled up and you're, you're just like kind of shaking your head. Yeah, so it's just kind of weird. And I don't really understand it unless I study the symbolism. And here's a modern-day illustration. Now, can you find the nativity in here? I had a hard time finding it. It's, it's there, apparently. I just had a hard time finding it. But you can imagine a critic coming into an art gallery and just look at this going, Oh, wow! I can't believe it. It's just brilliant! Look at all the colors and, and the, you know, the angels over here represents this and, and the, the shepherds over here and the animals over here and the, and the colors, they just, they just represent how the, how the church has, you know, divided over the years. You could almost see art critics, you know, acting that way and talking that way when they look at some of this stuff. Now, for you guys that grew up in the 60s, you might remember a new art style coming out. It was called the minimalist. And literally, literally, they would have paintings that would have a block of red, block of green, block of yellow, block of blue. 
and they would sell it for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Or this one from the 60s, you could buy for $150,000 or go down to Home Depot and buy it for $795. You know, but in the 60s, what they were trying to do, because the world was getting so complicated in so many people's eyes, they were trying to, to get back to the basics. You know, from a theological standpoint, they were trying to minimalize things. And I really think it's sometimes that God is a minimalist. God has, you know, brought it back down literally to what is the point that matters. And if we start out the, the Christmas series this year, I want you to start thinking about this point. God strips everything away. He strips everything away. All the glory, all the power, all the majesty, everything, and brings it down to a little baby. A little baby. And I think it's good that we have this season. Every chance this season you get, you ought to be talking about one thing, baby Jesus. You ought to be talking about, you know, the mercy and the grace that it all comes down to that. It all comes down to Jesus Christ coming and bringing that mercy and grace to this earth. The reason for this time of the year. But I also realize that none of it matters. None of it matters at all unless we start to interact with Christ. Unless we start building those relationships that that go deeper with Christ. Unless you and I interact with Christ, how we respond to to this this time of the year, how it touches us. you You know, this is when it has meaning. Today I want to talk about a person who didn't interact. A person who literally forgot what it meant in, in many ways for me to be human, to help other people out. And we're going to be in Luke 2. And it starts out in Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augusta, Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census to, it, that took place while Quinarius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his, or, uh, to his town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judah to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to, his, uh, to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room, before the, uh, no room for them in the inn. So here's the situation. You have Luke that is kind of the, the quiet of the... I mean, he's, he's the, uh, quite the historian. He's the guy that if you want to know the details, you go study the book of, of Luke. If you want to just get through like really, really quick, go, go you know, Mark. In fact, even in the book of Mark, you go back and study the Greek. All the Greek words have this kind of, let's push forward to them. I mean, all, they're kind of running words. They kind of just move forward, all the, all the connection words that he uses in Mark. But, but Luke, he slows down and gives you the details. It began in the time of Caesar Augustus. And Octavian is the adopted son of Julius Caesar. For those history buffs, you might remember that uh, he sided with Mark Anthony uh, in the Civil War, you know, with Brutus and Cassius. Or Cassius. 
And during that time, Mark Anthony and, you know, was put in charge and he helped kind of bring Rome under one control. All the, you know, outstretches of the Roman arms. In other words, all the countries that were connected to Rome, he, he brought into one rule. And everything was great until what happened? He went off to Egypt to be with Cleopatra. Things didn't turn out so well for him. So he takes off and spends way too much time with Cleopatra and, and another civil war ensues and Octavian beats Mark Anthony. And the Romans come to him and say, look, we don't want war anymore. We're tired of war. Can you just give us peace? We will make you emperor if you bring us peace. So Octavian becomes the first emperor of Rome. Now you're probably thinking, well, why is this (laughs) important at all? Well, the reason why it's important is he started ruling in 31 BC and ruled for 45 years. So this is the beginning of where Christ really enters into to the human picture on earth. And out of all the Caesars, he had the most power. And for 45 years, he is powerful and there is peace throughout the, the known world, the, the known Roman world. And he is also the first to say, we really need to, to know who is in our empire. In other words, you know, we, we want more money from people, so if we know who's here, we can tax them. That's basically what the premise, was, you know, premise is about. You know, right now we're having all this debate about our borders and all that. Well, their borders, they were like, come on in, because we just want to tax you. That's the way they thought of it. Octavian was the first to order the census. So everyone had to return to their ancestral town. For Lisa and I, that would not be going back to the Bay Area where we came from before we came here. It would not be going to, to Nebraska where Lisa was going to school and uh, where we finished up you know, her schooling before we moved out here. It wouldn't even be going back to Texas where, where you know, I grew up. It would be actually where my father was from, the ancestral home, where when, when America was settled, where they settled down. It would be like going back to there, to Oklahoma. So they're all going back to their ancestral home. So for all the people in Rome, they're traveling back to those ancestral homes, uh, and Joseph and Mary are traveling to their little town. They were going to answer the questions. Who are you married to? How many kids do you have? How much do you make? Because we want to know how much to tax you. And in the historical records of the time, we actually know that, that Rome did this every 14 years between 20 A.D. and 270 A.D., that is a fact. We've, we, you know, they've uncovered documents and they've read about that. So, so you, you, if, you, you, if you subtract 14 years back and keep going back, your math you'll come up with 8 BC for the census that Joseph, Joseph and Mary would have, been dealt, you know, would have been dealing with. So we know that Herod the Great died in 4 BC. That's another historical fact. So we have the Roman emperor and then you have Herod. What did Herod control? Well, the Roman emperor gave Herod control over what we call the the biblical world, Israel, and in that area. He is the guy who ordered all the kids to, to be killed because he knew a new king had been born. So if Herod died in 4 B.C., we know that Christ had to be born sometime between 4 and 10 B.C., which fits really nicely into the whole census idea of every 14 years. So Jesus was born what? Eight years before Christ. Now figure that one out. Well, somebody messed up on the calendar. That's what we know, okay? So at this point, everyone would have been traveling. I mean, it must have been crazy. The freeways were just 
log-jammed. I mean, you know, their donkeys were just backed up for miles instead of cars. Everybody just moving around. Kind of much like today. You have millions of people traveling over the holidays. And they lived in a, in a little town called Nazareth that's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. But their hometown is Bethlehem. Think of it as a, a suburb or a little, you know, kind of town right outside of Jerusalem. And I can show you a picture of, we're standing in Jerusalem when we were in Israel and we took a picture of Bethlehem just, you know, down in the valley a little ways away. But we couldn't go there because it was an Arab-controlled town. I mean, you can, but you a little more risk to it. But think of it, it's just really close there. And it's famous for what? One king. King David. It's, that's what this town is famous for. King David lived there in Bethlehem. So this is why Joseph and Mary were going back there. Now this was a three-day journey for all of them. So they're traveling like a hundred miles. Now imagine Mary, nine months pregnant and riding on a donkey. I mean, this would be like my wife and I traveling at this time of the year. She would absolutely kill me if I got her on a donkey and said, we're going to travel for a hundred miles. It's just not going to work. But Joseph had to be doing this, and he had to be struggling with this all along. I mean, Mary, the woman he's supposed to be married married to, this this young woman is pregnant. So so first of all, he's already struggling, and, and an angel comes to him and says, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Everything is going to be all right. This is going to be a great blessing that has come upon you. Don't worry about it. And now, nine months later, you find yourself loading up on a donkey. I wonder what the conversation with God would have been like. You know, have you ever thought about that? You, you read the, the historical, you know, characters that are in the Bible, and, and you go, I wonder what their conversations were like. God, you said not to worry. You said not to be afraid. Now look at us. We're having to travel right now. I mean, come on. Why are we on a donkey right now? Have you forgotten about us? Have you forgotten about us? Why at this time? Couldn't you have waited one month? Couldn't you have done it three months ago? Why right now? Imagine the frustration here. On one hand, you would remember the powerful angel that comes and says, do not be afraid. This is a great blessing. And then the other hand, you feel completely 100% alone. God has this incredible blessing, yet your life experiences seem to be like what? Man, a nasty, difficult situation sometimes. Where you're sitting there going, I don't know what's going on. Anybody relate to this at this time of the year? God says, I have this incredible blessing for you. Just follow me. And then we start and soon we feel that God has forgotten us. In the middle of bad situations, we're asking God, what's going on, God? What's happening here, God? I think they're feeling this way. And they're left literally with nothing but trust. They have to trust at this point. They understand that this baby is important. And you hold on to the promise that God has given you. And all you have is trust. I could hear the conversation with Mary. Mary, I know you want your friends around. I know you want your family around. I know you're fixing to have this baby, but God knows better. 
we're traveling to, to Bethlehem now, Mary, so, so get on the donkey. I could almost imagine that going, she's going, do we have to go? Yes, Mary, we have to go. Are you sure? We, I mean, we have to go. Yes, Mary, we have to go. God is in charge, and Joseph knew this. God has a bigger plan. He tells them, I will protect you. Now, when we think of protection, we think of what? Comfort. And this is really one of the keys. We think of following God as as full of blessings, and we always translate that as comfort. But we find ourselves on a donkey, and we don't know why. It is not about comfort. It's not about making our lives better. For Joseph and Mary, it's about the divine glory and divine plan of God. And if God you know, had to move hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people around, he was going to do that. 700 years before this, he told Micah the prophet that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. So guys, get on the donkey. I need to get you there. You're not going to be born in Nazareth. You're going to be born in Bethlehem. I need you there because what I say is truth. And the key for us is to realize in our life that God's plans do not get broken. When God makes a a promise to us, He doesn't break that promise. And we have many, hundreds of promises in the Bible that God has given us. What I say needs to happen, God is saying. And I'll do it if I've got to move millions of people around. This is God's divine plan that cannot be broken at all. It's God's truth and the sanctity of His promise. Now, to the innkeeper. Did you know nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus was actually born in a stable? Where do we get this idea from? Well, the paintings, Botticelli and all these other paintings, you know, they, they make it look like, you know, that all these animals were around. And where do we get that idea? Well, let's go to, go to verse 6 and 7 and look too. It says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to, a, to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And this is the only place where we get this idea that Jesus was born in a barn. So from an American standpoint, what does our Christmas view of this look like? Well, we have sheep, we have cows. We don't really think of camels. In Israel, we bought a, you know, one of the, the manger scene things, and it came with camels. And I was like, hey, that's really cool because they have camels over there. You know, I, I didn't think of that. Because we view it from an American standpoint sometimes. We have the straw, we have the hay, we have the donkey, we have the wise men, we have the shepherds, we have the angels, we have the star, and baby Jesus is right there in a wooden manger. Now there's really two possibilities uh, of what this would have looked like. In our Western culture, we think of you know, an old uh, Western town, you know, a little house on the prairie. You have the house, and, and you know, somewhere off the house, you've got the corral next to, attached to the barn, right? That's the way we look at it. And then there's all these animals around. We think of it as two separate places. But back in biblical times, it was a little different. In fact, the manger that we show you know, is always made of wood. Well, this is what a manger looks like from that time period. It's actually stone. 
All the mangers during that time, or I don't want to say all, I'm sure there was maybe one or two wooden mangers, but mostly they were made of stone because this area had a ton of stone around it. In fact, a lot of it was volcanic stone. You don't even realize that until you go over there. It was very hard to get wood in Israel. We think of Jesus being a carpenter. Well, did you know what carpenter meant back then? Stonemason. It meant somebody who worked with stone and wood. It was both. We, we think of it only as wood, but it's really not. Because wood was precious. Now, do you remember where the wood from the temple came from? It came from, from out of their territory up in the, in the city of Tyre up north to get the wood for the temple. So there wasn't a lot of wood around, a lot of wood around in this area, but they did have a lot of rock. So many of the homes would have been carved out aside the hill. In fact, here's a 15th century painting where, where this is just one of the, the things that they show. And, and I don't necessarily think it was this um, in a sense. And in fact, we, we think of it as more of an attachment onto a house. It was more likely a, a side room on a house. And they would have built a, a home with a pen for the animals on the side of the house. You know, you've got to think of it uh, this time of the year like NASCAR coming to town. Or you've got to think of it as, as the Winter Olympics coming to your village and thousands of people show up. This is like for us the Ag Center showing up and, and thousands of people would have flooded the hotel rooms and there's really, I mean, last minute you're not going to get a hotel room during, ag, you know, during the Ag Show, right? Well, back then they didn't necessarily regulate how much stuff costs so all the prices would literally be jacked up. This would be the time that you would, as an innkeeper would be making money. The hotels are full, the prices are going up, the innkeeper's thinking about money. I mean, wouldn't you? That's where your focus would be. That's where my focus would, would most likely be. He wants you to be comfortable, and this time of the year is when you made it to help you out through the rest of the year. And that is our focus today, oftentimes. We want to be comfortable, and that's okay. As long as we stay in the limits that God gives us, it's okay to be somewhat comfortable. But what is interesting here is what the innkeeper is actually missing. He is missing the Messiah, the king of the world, the king of the universe has come down to this earth and he is completely missing it. The Lord of glory has shown up at his doorstep and because he is so focused on money, he was missing it. Never mind that you have a woman that's nine months pregnant who's traveled over a hundred miles on a donkey probably over three days. Never mind that out of basic human decency, you ought to help this person out some way. Never mind that. What's going to happen is he's going to miss the blessing of the Messiah being born at his inn. So they had to go out and find their own lodging. And they most likely ran across some family that, that saw them and took pity on them. We don't know. But they, they said, you know, we have a, we have a room on the, on the side of the house here. Well, what is this, you know, we kind of talk about, you know, this little pen for animals. Why would you have a pen for animals on the side of your house? Well, every Jewish family that was following Christ, I mean, following Christ, following God at the time, every Jewish family that would be following God would be raising what? A little lamb for the once a year slaughter. Once a year offering to God for your sins. The atonement sacrifice. 
So they would be, you know, go out and find this perfect lamb and, and literally the, the kids, if you had kids, or the adults, if you didn't have kids, would be feeding this little lamb and you would take care of it, making sure that no blemish appears on it, making sure that it doesn't break its leg and, and because there were certain criteria for this. So you would have a pen literally right connected to your house so you could take care of this little lamb. It's kind of ironic that the true lamb is coming down. The one who will be sacrificed for your sin and our sins is being born in a place where they would take care of little lambs. In a town that was known for raising lambs. I often wonder what kind of prayers Joseph had that night. Okay, God, I'm here. What else do you want? We sort of got a place. Is this where you want us? We don't, we don't even have a bed here. Is this what you had for us? I took her as my wife, as you asked me to. What now, Lord? And this innkeeper's is totally focused on the wrong thing instead of helping others, instead of helping fellow Jews at this time. Did you see the news this past week where uh, over Thanksgiving the people were literally having their Thanksgiving meals in front of stores so they could be the first in line? And it's become tradition for their certain families. It's amazing to me, their focus. Do you think that we're focused on the wrong things in this world sometimes? What gifts you know, are you going to, to get this Christmas? What, what gifts are you going to give this Christmas? It is our, our gift-giving you know, season. John Stewart on The Daily Show said a few years ago, and I love this quote, Early shopping results are in, and it's still too early to tell if we bought enough stuff to make Jesus happy. I mean, did he get it right or what? Let us not forget what this season is all about. Don't get caught up at this time of the year to, to, to forget what it's about. I mean, let's go out and buy our gifts. I mean, that, that, that's not a bad thing. But let's not forget the true reason. We need to remember why we celebrate. That way, when Jesus shows up at our doorstep, we don't go, sorry, no room, that I don't turn him away. I pray that we do not end up like the doorkeeper. The way we think, the way we live, the things we think about, what we do, how we do them, how this reflects on the things that that we really and truly believe in. We need to focus on the one true thing, the baby. Because that is God born on this earth. The baby Jesus, the only true thing here. Not the money. During all the excitement, during all the decorating, during all the the shopping and the gift giving and the receiving of gifts and and coming together with family and having meals together, let's not forget we need to strip it all down and become minimalist. We need to strip it all down to the reason we celebrate the season. In Philippians 2, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of the servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What is Paul telling us here? God has existed in three forms. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And from the dawn of time, Jesus Christ has existed, being the very nature of God. You know, some people try to say, oh, he was a good prophet, he was a great guy, who, you know, just did very well, that he was born a man. And this is, this is somewhat false, because they ignore the other part. He was also born God. Fully man, fully God. He was, he was from the very beginning of the very nature of God. He let it all go to be with you and to be with me. He already had the power. And then he chose to come down here as a baby with no power for us. He made himself nothing. This little baby who had to be fed by mom made into human likeness. He willingly gave up His majesty, all the honor, all the glory, all the might, all the power, and He humbled Himself. Jesus Christ was placed in the womb of Mary, was born in the likeness of man, and pulled off the impossible. He was blameless. How did He do that? Because He didn't have the sin nature within Him. That's the difference between us and Him. He didn't have that sin nature. He chose not to use His own power and live by the power of the Holy Spirit while He was here. The devil even tempted Him. You know, if you're hungry, turn this, this stone into bread. You know, or here on the corner of the temple, just jump off. The angels literally will come and save you. They will catch you. But He willingly gave up His power. He broke the power over evil when this little baby ended up on the cross. I wonder if the innkeeper ever recognized him for who he was. I wonder if later in life the innkeeper would go, that was the fit. that's the Jesus? I wonder if he ever did. Because God became man. But none of it matters if we do not interact with God. We have to choose to allow it to make a difference in our lives on a daily basis. Well, the story doesn't matter if we don't. He gave up all His glory to give it to us so that one day He could buy your freedom and my freedom. And if He's willing to do this, how much more do you think He would, you know, how much more do you think He would do to take care of us? Or do we get stuck in the Joseph and Mary idea? The syndrome here. I'm here, Lord. What now? Why did we travel all this way? Lord, I'm here. What now? Where are you, Lord? But instead, our attitude ought to be that of Jesus Christ, a servant. That is what the Christmas story is all about. Don't miss Jesus when he shows up at your doorstep. And I love this, this last picture here. I love the expressions on these people's faces. They're interacting with the baby Jesus. They're happy. They're amazed. I love this picture. Not a little figurines sitting on a, on a table. People reacting. They're interacting with God. 
That's what we ought to do this season. That's what we ought to do this Christmas is interact with God. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, I pray that we just strip everything away in our lives. That we get back to the basics of just interacting with you. That we get back to the, to the point in our lives where, where we realize what's important and what's not. I pray, Lord, that as many of us will go visit family, that you smooth over relationships. That you allow the focus be on, on the celebration of, of your Christmas, on the celebration of your son coming to this earth. That it not be wrapped around in family relationships. That it not be wrapped around in the gifts that we, we got or that we wish we got. But most of all, Lord, I pray that we interact with you on a daily basis. That we realize what's so important in our lives, which is you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine down upon you through all the Christmas lights that are on the homes. May you recognize who He is and what He's done for you. May His face never, never turn from you. May you realize it this season. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.